we should start a podcast. Yeah, we've all said it. But when it comes time to make it a reality, we get stuck. Well, here's some good news. With Spreaker, all you need to start a podcast is a microphone and a good idea. Spreaker handles the recording, management, distribution, and monetization of your podcast, allowing you to focus on making a podcast. Whether you're discussing the latest moves in the tech sector or just your dating life, Spreaker gives you tools to make your podcast a hit and professional insights about who is listening and where. And as your podcast dream grows, Spreaker only becomes more useful, letting you upload and schedule multiple episodes at the same time, push to multiple platforms, and customize RSS feeds. But what about making money? With Spreaker, monetization is as easy as checking a few boxes. So next time someone says to you, we should start a podcast, say yes and let Spreaker handle the rest. Learn more and get 30% off at Spreaker.com slash get started. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R dot com slash get started. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Set you free. Oh, yeah. Happy Tuesday. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy and talk here on the Leslie Marshall Show. Great show in store. Former Congressman Bob Nay is in the house. We're going to talk with him about Iran, Saudi Arabia, and uh, what Bush and Pompeo and Bolton knew and when did they know it? Stick around. Uh, also, we're going to be uh, talking uh, about what's going on in, in the news. And we're going to start that by kicking it off, as we do every Leslie Marshall show at the beginning with me, your host, Leslie Marshall, by checking what's ripped. From those headlines. Take a listen to this audio. This is a, a senator, one of my favorites, actually, Sherrod Brown, a Democrat from Ohio, asking the Treasury Secretary, Stephen Mnuchin, Quote, how many workers should give their lives to increase our GDP by a half percent? Good question. Take a listen. So how many how many workers should give their lives to increase our GDP by half a percent that you that you're pushing people back into the workplace? There's been no national program to provide worker safety. The president says reopen slaughterhouses. Nothing about slowing the line down. Nothing about getting protective equipment is 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 how many workers should give their lives to increase the GDP or the Dow Jones by a thousand points. You know, workers should give their lives to do that, Mr. Senator, and I think your characterization is unfair. We have provided enormous amounts of equipment. We've worked with the governors. We've done a terrific job of getting... You know, Mr. Secretary, I, I'm not going to let you make a political speech about how what a great job we hear that from the president his news conferences, when in fact this country... Uh, the president did is, is still not led an effort to scale up testing. He's played state after state, 
state against state. He's played hospital against hospital to get protective equipment. Everybody in the country, your comments notwithstanding, knows that. Absolutely incredible. Here's my thing. You know, my I'm married to a physician. I know some of you know that and some of you sick of hearing it that know that, but sorry. Um, it, it, it is relevant because he's a healthcare worker. He goes into the hospital. He was talking to a good friend of ours yesterday who says he is signing so many death certificates. He, he never thought in his medical career it would be like this. Um, how, you know, pe- people say that Look at Darwin, survival of the fit, fittest, right? Uh, herd mentality. But are you willing to give up your child, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, or yourself for the economy? I'm not. Human life before economic prosperity. Hallelujah. I think it's pretty easy. Let's rip another. President Trump yesterday intensified his push for businesses to reopen as quickly as possible, but companies and cities continued to wait for the disbursement of unspent bailout funds and the remains uh, unsure what to expect as rules and programs continue to shift almost hourly, right? Uh, In tweets and during a meeting with restaurant executives at the White House, the president tried to create a new sense of urgency about jumpstarting the economy. It has suffered, as you know, huge losses the past several months during the coronavirus pandemic. And I just want to do a sidebar here. Democrats don't want the economy to fail. Why would they? Why would anybody want to go home to their state and go, look, (laughs) I'm delivering crap to you. I'm giving you, uh, you know, we're going to hell in a handbag and I'm a part of it. I'm a part of the problem. No, Democrats as well as Republicans want to be part of the solution. So I get tired of people saying Democrats want the economy to tank. No, no, because even if it tanks, the people who really love Trump will still vote for him. And even if it's great, the people who hate him won't. We're very divided. It comes down to those independent swings and swing state voters, period. Anyway, he told restaurant executives at a White House meeting that he was open to giving businesses more flexibility on how they use taxpayer funds so they could delay rehiring workers as quickly as originally required. But while the Treasury Department has rushed to implement some stimulus programs, such as sending $1,200 checks to 140 million households and mobilizing a small business lending program, other congressionally approved assistance funds are off to a much slower start. The Congressional Oversight Commission, a new body, released a report yesterday finding that the Treasury Department had spent very little from $500 billion in that fund created by the CARES Act in March to help those businesses or those local governments, even though... Many of these entities have said, help, we need the help and we need it immediately. Now, the 500 billion treasury fund, oh, by the way, and and, and the 500 billion treasury fund doesn't always help really small rural districts within states. But anyway, the 500 billion treasury fund created by the CARES Act is supposed to be used to help prop up large segments of the U.S. economy, including airlines, small and mid-sized businesses, larger corporations and cities and states. The Congressional Oversight Commission was created by the CARES Act to oversee how that $500 billion fund is being used. And the group issued its first report yesterday, even though it still doesn't have a chair, big surprise. That person must be appointed jointly by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Democrat from California, and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky, 
who just likes to leave everything in the Senate graveyard. However, the commission has four other members who were appointed individually by congressional leaders. They produced a 17-page report yesterday, and it contains mostly questions about how the Treasury fund is going to function. The $500 billion Treasury fund also sets aside $46 billion to make loans and loan guarantees, largely to the airline industry. None of that money has been dispersed. Many firms have said other parts of the CARES Act have helped them remain in business, particularly a separate fund for smaller firms. But a growing number of businesses, particularly those that rely on direct customer interaction, well, they've closed. They're not expected to reopen. Others have expressed frustration about the changing terms of these government aid programs. A municipal liquidity, liquidity facility excuse me, is also supposed to loan money to state and local governments, an issue that has been the topic of intense debate on Capitol Hill and at the White House. The CARES Act allocated a separate $150 billion pot for state and local governments, but governors and Democratic lawmakers have been petitioning for more. The Treasury intends to invest $35 billion in the municipal liquidity facility, which can support up to $500 billion in lending. That's what the report says, but none of that money has gone out yet. So what good the dollar amount if it's only on a piece of paper and it's not actually being sent to the people, to the companies? or to the sectors that actually need it. Let's rip another. House Democrats passed a largely symbolic bill on May 15th, rolling back two controversial tax provisions that had slipped into the CARES Act, the $2 trillion stimulus law that Congress passed in March with overwhelmingly bipartisan support. The two tax provisions, which remove caps on individual and businesses' ability to write off net operating losses, they're expected to deliver a $160 billion windfall to the wealthiest Americans, disproportionately benefiting hedge fund and real estate investors. Now, while the repeal effort will likely be dead upon arrival in the Senate, where it has no support among Republicans' big surprise, the Democrats' move raises a question. How did these two massive tax breaks for the very rich get slipped into the CARES Act in the first place? Well, it's a valid and fair question. Times analysis of drafts of the bills and lobbying disclosures, along with interviews with half a dozen staffers and lobbyists, show that the provisions originated with the Senate Finance Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley's office, which was working with other Republicans on the committee, and were lobbied for heavily by the real estate industry, including a prominent real estate trade group of which Jared Kirshner's family is current a member. The National Multifamily Housing Council, the NMHC, which represents the apartment industry, spent $1.4 billion in the first quarter on lobbying myriad of power centers, including Congress and the Executive Office of the President, and it listed one of the two tax provisions among its many lobbying targets. Jared Kushner's family's company, Kushner Companies, is a member of NMHC's advisory committee, According to the organization's website, that appears that membership appears to be the lowest level of membership and requires an annual fee of five thousand dollars. The MMHC website also lists Abby Labor, Kushner Companies, Director of Acquisitions, as the contact for the company on the membership directory. Okay, so Avi Labor is Kushner Companies Director of Acquis Acquisitions. That's the contact on the membership directory. He was in prison, by the way, with Kushner's father. He joined the company after they were both released. That's according to Bloomberg. The Trump Organization, it will also benefit from the tax provisions, even though it's not publicly listed as a technical member of NMHC. On May 13th, just two days before Democrats voted to repeal sections of the CARES Act, NMHC hired an outside lobbying firm, Nixon Peabody, to lobby in part on corrections to the CARES Act, according to 
disclosure filings. Now, both the National Retail Federation, the NRF, the trade association representing the retail industry, and the Commercial Real Estate Development Association, CREDA, an organization for real estate developers, also listed net operating losses among their lobbying targets in the first quarter. The NRF spent nearly $1.6 million, while CREDA spent 312000 the International Council for Shopping Centers, the Trade Association for Shopping Malls and Retails, well, they spent $320,000 in, in, in those two provisions, which amount to just 12 pages and more than an 800-page law, now carry outsized weight. Indignation over huge tax cuts to the very rich are fueling the first major wave of anger towards Washington. Part of a bigger outcry as fallout from the coronavirus pandemic reveals systematic inequities across the nation. Quote, According to Stephen Rosenthal, an expert at the Tax Policy Center, they are a nonpartisan think tank, and they've been an outspoken critic of the provisions. Quote, I think Congress was directed more at, let's shovel a whole bunch of dollars into the economy as stem, uh, to stem some of the bleeding. And I don't think they focused as much as they could have on where Congress is shuffling those dollars. Too much of the relief Congress has parceled out will end up in the hands of millionaires and people who don't need the money. I'm Leslie Marshall. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear, hear more with Rich from the headlines right after this. Don't go away. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. We are back. Hey there, I'm Leslie Marshall. Happy Tuesday. And we continue with what's ripped from the headlines. President Trump tweeted a letter last night threatening to permanently cut off the World Health Organization's U.S. funding, accusing the WHO of, quote, repeated missteps during the pandemic and demanding it, quote, demonstrate independence from China. Now, what is he saying here? If the WHO does not commit to major substanti substantial improvements within the next 30 days, I will make my temporary freeze of U.S. funding to the World Health Organization permanent and reconsider our membership in the organization. That's exactly what the president said in the letter to WHO Director General Tedros Adhaman Ghebreyesus. Or Ghebreyesus. Now, uh, by the numbers, the novel coronavirus death toll continues to rise along with the number of cases not just in the United States, but throughout the world. COVID-19 has killed almost 319 people, thousand people worldwide, including over 90,300 in the U.S., which has the world's highest death toll per Johns Hopkins data. More than 4.8 million people worldwide and 1.5 million in the U.S. have now tested positive for the virus. Experts have cast doubt on China's official coronavirus stats. That country reported more than 84,000 infections and over 4,600 deaths. That was as of this morning. The big picture, well, the president tweeted his letter the same day that all 194 WHO member states attended a virtual meeting of the World Health Assembly. And that's where the World Health Organization agreed to a call from over 110 countries for an independent review of the global coronavirus response. We should have been a part of that. Trying to back the review, which won't examine the origins of the virus. Trump declined an invitation to address the talks, uh, according to Jonathan Swan at Axios. China's president, Xi Jinping, did, did address the meeting. 
and he pledged to donate $2 billion over the next two years to support the COVID-19 response efforts. Sounds like a little guilt there, right? Particularly in developing countries. And the president announced last month that the U.S. was halting funding to the WHO for 60 to 90 days over its handling of the outbreak pending a review. Now, behind the scenes, Swan from Axios reported over the weekend that following a trip to Camp David with close House Republican allies over the weekend, the president was, quote, leaning toward preserving his total funding cut for the WHO. And to note, Swan also points out that the House Democrats say Trump doesn't have the legal authority to unilaterally halt the WHO funding and that Speaker Nancy Pelosi has foreshadowed a challenge to that decision. The Trump administration, Swan notes, counters that there is no explicit language in Congress spending bills that forces them to give money to the WHO. That's in uh, response to Nancy's foreshadowing there. Let's rip another. Joe Biden would rescind President Donald Trump's permit, allowing the Keystone XL oil pipeline to cross the border into the United States, a move that would effectively kill the controversial project. That's what his campaign told Political Politico yesterday. The statement is the first from Biden's campaign about how the presumptive Democratic nominee would handle the project that's been stalled for over a decade if he wins the White House in November. Biden's opposition also raises the stakes for the TC Energy's efforts to start construction on the cross-border portion of the pipeline this year that would carry 830,000 barrels of crude oil from Canada to the U.S. Um, Uh, Biden strongly opposed the Keystone Pipeline in the last administration. He stood alongside President Obama and Secretary Kerry in rejecting it in 2015. He will stand proudly in the Roosevelt Room again as president and stop for good by rescinding the Keystone XL Pipeline permit. That was from Steph Feldman, policy director for the Biden campaign, in a written statement to Politico. A spokesperson for pipeline developer TC Energy, not available immediately responding to questions, the Trump administration is currently appealing a ruling from a federal judge in Montana earlier this month that actually blocked construction of the pipeline because of an insufficient environmental review. And Trump last year signed a cross-border construction permit for Keystone XL, taking it out of the State Department's hands after years of legal wrangling over the department's environmental review of the planned route. Let's rip another. Well, from the Republican uh-oh department, Arizona Senator Martha McSally is sliding in the polls. She has dropped four percentage points in a month. McSally now trailing Democrat Mark Kelly by 13 points. That's according to the latest tracking poll by OH Predictive Insights. Now, while the April poll of 600 likely voters favored Kelly 51% to McSally's 42% in May, it's now 51 to 38. The poll shows independence breaking more than two to one for Kelly. Uh, McSally is doing terribly, pollster Mike Noble told uh, told the press on Monday. There's no way to find a bright spot on that one. And uh, that's not even the bad news for McSally. The bad news, it comes from Maricopa County. And that is where Republicans rule. It's also the most densely populated area of the state of Arizona. And at least they did rule until Democratic Kirsten Sinema defeated McSally there in 2018. She stole 88 mostly suburban precincts that normally would go to the Republican nominee. McSally's declining support lies within the 4% margin of error in the May tracking poll, but the Maricopa County numbers are a disaster. Kelly is up over her by 5% in Maricopa County, and now he's climbed even higher, 54%. Sally's dropped to 36%. That's what's ripped from the headlines. I'm Leslie Marshall. Quick day is straight ahead.
We are back, and good to have with us Bob May, an independent political analyst for radio stations across the nation. He covers the White House, Congress, and specializes in Mideast issues. He graduated from the Ohio State University and taught English in Shiraz, Iran, to Persians in 1978. He left Iran due to the beginning of the revolution and was then the American manager of a private sector company in Saudi Arabia. He lived there for a year. He then returned to the United States, was elected to the Ohio House of Representatives in 1980, the Ohio Senate in 1984, and the United States House of Representatives in 1994 as a Republican in an overwhelmingly Democratic seat. Bob became chairman of the House Administration Committee, chair of the House Housing Subcommittee, deputy whip leadership position, and member of the House Transportation Committee. His legacy bill was the passage of the Help America Vote Act, co-authored by now Democratic leader Steny Hoyer. HAVA, H-A-V-A, in a bipartisan effort, modernized the American voting systems after the Bush-Gore election aftermath. In 2006, Bob resigned from Congress due to the Jack Abramoff scandal. He wrote a book about his time in politics and his incarceration in the federal correction system. It's called Sideswiped, Lessons Learned Courtesy of the Hitmen of Capitol Hill. It was released in 2013. It's definitely worth a purchase and a read. I have a copy. You should get one. Bob also volunteers helping people with recovery from alcohol and drug abuse. He's involved in other entrepreneurial ventures. He makes his home in Ohio. He's a father of two grown children, five grandchildren. He also co-hosts a weekly podcast with co-host Jim Owen, where they speak the truth about a fundamentally unfair economic system and learn what can be done to correct it. It's called Door to Door, and it can be found at bobnaydoortodoor.com. More than a pleasure to have Bob with us on the show. Hey, Bob, good afternoon and welcome. Thank you for... uh, Thank you for uh, joining us. Listen, you oh, know lot, you lo- you know a lot more about Iran and Saudi Arabia than I do. I mean, you were a, a congressman. Uh, you you were in local politics, the state of Ohio, national politics, but even more so, you know the people and you know the politics and the government of these nations because you've lived in both Iran and Saudi Arabia. Uh, so you know a lot more than the people, uh, you know, inside the Beltway making decisions with regard uh, to Iran and Saudi Arabia. We now have um, we have an individual that we now know was a watchdog that was investigating arms sales to Saudi Arabia, and they've been fired. And this isn't one of those Democrats like myself, progressives on the left, are just trying to throw more, hurl more stuff at the Trump administration. Not that they need any help. Uh, we need any help with the stuff they put out there. Um, the, these are Republicans uh, like yourself, Bob. Um, coming forward and saying something smells rotten here, we want answers to questions. Um, so when the State Department Inspector General, who was fired by the president, and this happened late Friday night, well, we found that he was investigating the president's effort to sell weapons to Saudi Arabia without congressional approval. And that is according to the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. How serious is this and how suspicious is this? Well, first of all, to answer the second part first, it's very suspicious because as the Secretary of State, Leslie uh, Pompeo, says, well, you know, uh, he didn't know he was under investigation for this issue. Well, first of all, that's rather ridiculous because as this inspector general started to ask people questions throughout State Department, there's nobody with a straight face that could look at us and say, oh, he didn't hear about it. Of course he knew about it. He knew about it from the Hill. I mean, it wasn't like it was a top-secret classified deal. You know, Elliot Engel, uh, the chair, and other people wanted to know. And by the way, you make a great point. This is not just a, a Democratic 
uh, deal. There are plenty of Republicans upset about this. Republicans that you know passed a bill to stop Saudi Arabia from getting arms, and all of a sudden, uh, the Trump administration turns around and does it. So it does. I, I think it smells very bad. It looks bad. You know, it's it's. I think they're going to come down and find out some other facts that they're not going to like uh, when they investigate this because this won't stop. In fact, this was a foolish move, you know, to bring this out out front. And then the, the other part of this, uh, the first part is, the, you know, the deal itself and its long history. Uh, this was on track when you had Flynn. And I know Flynn's controversial, but Flynn was there with the NSA. And then you had uh, Tillerson, the Secretary of State, who said to the President of the United States, keep the Obama-Iran nuclear deal. It contained Iran. This is what contained Iran. But behind this was Saudi Arabia. Once Tillerson left, once Flynn left, you had the entree of John Bolton and Pompeo, and the whole deck of cards changed, and it became stop the nuclear deal, go after Iran, and why? This is all about Saudi Arabia. So the only thing that stood between changing Saudi Arabia's behavior, because you had Senate Republicans that went after Saudi Arabia, I want to point that out, Leslie, the only thing that stood between changing Mohammed bin Salman, the ruling king of Saudi Arabia, and his bad behavior, and Khashoggi, and the whole nine yards, was the Trump administration. And for what reason did they turn around and possibly give them $8 billion in arms sales when the entire Congress said, don't do it right now? There's so much to this. And when, when you look at uh, the latest revelation, you know, which we shared at the onset, which was that, um, you know, he, he was investigating the president's effort to sell weapons to Saudi Arabia without congressional approval. We, we also um, know that he was looking into claims that the secretary of state, Mike Pompeo, and his wife improperly directed political appointees yeah. to run personal errands, yeah. including walking his dog, picking up his dry cleaning. Right. Um Right. And that this was being done at the request of Elliot Engel, Democrat from uh, New York, Foreign Affairs Committee right. chairman. He said um, the office was investigating at my request Trump's phony declaration of an emergency so he could send weapons to Saudi Arabia. This he's made uh, public uh, to the press. He said, quote, we don't have the full picture yet, but it's troubling that Secretary Pompeo wanted Mr. Linick pushed out before this work yes. could be completed so that people understand what is the only reason a secretary of state would want a man like this pushed out before completing this work? Because you would think the secretary of state wouldn't want anybody to be making any kind of a deal with Saudi Arabia without congressional approval and especially selling weapons. Well, if you put all the dots together with this, you have to remember John Bolton ended up in the White House because uh, Secretary of State Pompeo and others of the, of the neocon movement wanted John Bolton. And that's important because Bolton and Pompeo was a great alliance that went far, far to the right, went all the way towards what Saudi Arabia wanted, and literally wanted some kind of conflict or war with Iran. I mean, let's face it, they, those... Um, Fighter pilots were within 10 minutes of Iran before Trump himself, because somebody in the White House, I think, said, Mr. President, you go to war, you lose. You lose your election. And he reversed them. So you've got these pieces that have been there. So what Pompeo would want is, you know, he wouldn't want anybody looking into this, because I, um, I don't think that Pompeo can make a justified reason. He, he thumbed his nose at Congress. He did an emergency appropriation, basically, for Saudi Arabia. And I think the only answer he has is, Iran's a danger. Well, so is Saudi Arabia. 
So, you know, Iran's no white knight, don't get me wrong. But Leslie, he can't answer that question. And that's why I think the inspector was probably getting onto something where somebody said, well, this is why they did it. The connection of Jared Kushner, close to Mohammed bin Salman, you know, John Bolton, Pompeo gets into Secretary of State. I mean, there's a whole linkage there. And so I don't think he could probably properly answer why he did this, except, you know, Iran is the boogeyman. You know, it's interesting that you uh, say that. I know some notes that you have because you really, really know this stuff inside and out. Uh, You said Iran is no white knight, neither is Saudi Arabia. You just said that. But you've also said just because Saudi is favored over Iran does not make them good. They're not the good guys around the bad guys, even though it's pointed that way. You said it's like choosing which poison you want. Both will kill you. One tastes worse than the other. Um, And and, and I agree with you. It, It always interests me how... Uh, Saudi Arabia is always the bad guy, but we're always doing deals with them, almost like China. But, oh, Iran, but Iran and Iran and Saudi Arabia, like you said, uh, both poison, uh, just uh, one tastes worse than the other. I I like that you had put it. I like that you had put it that way. Uh, There was a swift launch of an investigation into the firing of Linick um, over the weekend alongside New Jersey Senate uh, Senator uh, Bob Menendez. Uh, the top Democrat on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Lawmakers are demanding that the White House, the State Department, and the Inspector General's office turn over all documents related to Linux firing uh, by the end of this week. A few things here. One, how likely is that to happen, Bob? Two, is this a bipartisan request? And three, you know, what is the worst case scenario here that could happen uh, to to the president or the secretary of state? Or is this just uh, another big headline? Well, you know, it's a big headline, but it goes further than that. Um, You know, first of all, there are Republicans who, you know, they want this administration to back off of Saudi Arabia. They really do. Because, again, you know, Iran does one thing and then, you know, everybody's down on it. Saudi Arabia can do what it wants. We know it's not good. We know what they did to Khashoggi. We know it. Uh, But yet um, in in the Congress, you know, talks about that and condemns it, but yet this White House continues to do it. And I think a lot of it stems to the relationship of the president's son-in-law with Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, so, you know, there are some serious things I think they would uncover on this. It's not just a headline. If they dig deep enough, they may find where, you know, the White House uh, had uh, motives to do this. Now, the president himself says that, you know, he didn't know this inspector general, and he doesn't know why he was terminated, but Pompeo wanted him terminated. So, I think if if they continue on with this, it's more than just a headline, Leslie. I think it turns into something that really looks horribly bad, is bad on the surface and underneath. And also, it does defy the bipartisan effort to rein in Saudi Arabia at the same time, you know, of reining in Iran. Saudi Arabia's total effort is to create a war between us and Iran. That is what they want. That's what would make them happy. They had key people in place in the government. Those people left like Bolton. And so now when they didn't get their way, all of a sudden they got $8 billion in complete defiance of the Congress. So I think there's a lot of Republicans that you know want this administration to do the right thing with Saudi Arabia. And I don't think they're going to step so far into the front of this to, to uh, block it. I, now, the White House itself, to answer your question, they probably will refuse you know, and only give what they want. I mean, that's been the pattern for three years. Democrats are accusing the president of squeaking to quash accountability and just continuing to purge any independent inspector general who is viewed as not loyal to him. Uh, Do you think there's some merit to that? 
Oh, I, I think there's a history to it. You know, if it's part of this whole quote deep state, you know, theory. Uh, the conspiracy that planted within the government are deep state individuals, some of them Republicans, some of them uh, Democratic, who you know want to undo the president. Because I've heard Republicans say, "Well, there's Republicans in this deep state effort too," you know, because uh, a couple of the inspector generals, you know, I mean, they're very bipartisan. We all know that by their nature, but uh, you know, you you couldn't really call some of them, uh, you know, anti-Republican. They've never had a history of it. So I think anybody that gets to the president from the cabinet, from the you know from Pompeo, Secretary of State, Health and Human Services, whatever. If they can get to the president, and say, hey, this is the deep state. That 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 inspector general is part of the deep state. I think bingo, you're going to get the president to get rid of them, and they have gotten rid of people. Uh, now you can only get rid of so many. I mean, they replace them with somebody else. You know, usually. Uh, but yes, there's been a pattern of it, and I think it's it's troublesome, and I, I think that it's all part of who reaches the president's ear to convince him that there's a plot. Uh, I, I also want to bring up, a lot of people may not be aware that the State Department officials were recently briefed about the conclusions uh, that Linick had come to in his investigation of the Saudi arms sales and our, the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, refused to sit for an interview with the Inspector General's office. Yeah. Um, that, to me, is also suspicious. Well, it's it's two things. You're right. You're 100% right. It's very suspicious. What does he have to hide? You sit with them. You say, no, I didn't do it for that reason. I did it because Iran's bad, blah, blah, blah. You know, you sit and you say your point of view. The second is, look, I was in Congress, uh, you know, during two different presidents, Clinton and Bush. We had inspector generals, you know, all the time, and I can't remember this type of situation with inspector generals are being terminated. And number two, I, I can't really recall where they just tell an inspector general, no, we we don't have to talk to you. I mean, it 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 thumbs its nose at the at the rule of law. It thumbs its nose at the very reason you have an inspector general. Now, if you want to attack the inspector general and say that they don't know what they're doing, they're off base, they're political, whatever you want to do. That's fine. You know, this is, you know how this is. It's a blood sport with politics and you can say anything you want, but to just say, well, I'm not going to pay attention. I don't have to answer that. Then how does the inspector general or somebody that succeeds Linux, how do they do their job? They can't. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Bob Nay and you after this. Uh, don't go away. Uh, we are talking about Aram. We are talking about Saudi Arabia and we're talking about the very suspicious uh, firing of a watchdog who was investigating arms sales to Saudi Arabia. I'm Leslie Marshall, uh, back with our guest and you right after this. Don't go away. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. We're back with Bob May, independent political analyst for radio stations throughout the nation. I've told you he uh, has lived in Iran. He has lived in Saudi Arabia. He has spent time incarcerated. He was a United States congressman for the Republican Party. He also held offices in both the Ohio House and Senate. He's written a great book called Sideswiped, Lessons Learned Courtesy of the Hitmen of Capitol Hill. It's a great read. You should get a copy. And you can find it at bobnaydoortodoor.com. That's B-O-B-N-E-Y, doortodoor.com. Bob, thank you for holding uh, welcome back. We were talking about the uh, fired watchdog investigating arms sales to uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, the 
president last year came under intense scrutiny for declaring a national emergency in order to sell weapons to the kingdom, uh, a move right. intended to sidestep approval from Capitol Hill. Uh, current law requires the executive branch to formally notify Congress of an intent to sell weapons to a foreign country, at which point the House and Senate have 30 days to vote to halt the sale. Would the House and Senate have voted in that 30 days to halt that sale? And did he know that? And do you think that's why he did this? Oh, I, I, I'm sure that's why he did it. Look, the president spoke publicly. And this is, these are a couple of important points, because this goes beyond the close relationship of Jared Kushner and Mohammed bin Salman. That's part of it. The desire of Saudi Arabia to create a war with us in Iran, that's part of it. Uh, you know, Pompeo taking over and, and Tillerson leaving and a new uh, ideologue, that's part of it. But the president had publicly said that he had met with officers of Raytheon, that's the Massachusetts-based defense contractor. They've lobbied heavy to stop the suspension and to lift it. And the president himself said, I want Boeing. This is a quote, Leslie, if I remember it right. I want Boeing and I want Lockheed and I want Raytheon to take those orders and hire lots of people to make this great equipment. That's what the president said. Then what happened? The effort to restart those sales was stopped because they murdered uh, Jamal Khashoggi, the Saudi dissident, Washington Post columnist, an American resident, they murdered him. And that's what then you know, made this all go by the, by the wayside. Then Pompeo broke that whole deal and said, uh-oh, I've got to do an emergency. Well, Raytheon missiles were linked to the uh, uh, parts of the weaponry, was linked to the killing of civilians, that the Saudis used those weapons. And that was part of the other controversy there. So, you know, it didn't matter that they, they weren't using them for defense of Iran. They were using Raytheon's equipment in Yemen in the proxy war of Saudi Arabia and Iran. And so Pompeo really can't defend this. By the way, there's one important fact about Linux that barely anybody talks about. Linux is the one, uh, if, we wanna, if they want to say he's partisan or something, he wrote a very harsh report on Hillary Clinton and the emails a few years ago. So he's kind of well known for being a fair and square type of, of guy, you know? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is—I I, would—I would—I would agree with you. Um, is there any legal justification for these emergencies? Um, if there was no emergency at the end of the day that could be justified for the arms sales, but but the only emergency is circumventing the congressional role and the advice and consent of arms sales to foreign nation. Um, that that I mean, is there anything criminal in that? Is is I don't want to say an impeachable offense, and people freak out when they hear the word impeachment. Right. But if it wasn't legally justified, what kind of ramifications are there for the president? Well, I think if it, if it wasn't legally justified, which I'm trying to imagine how they legally justified it, because there's a proxy war in Yemen, that's an emergency for us, that we thumb our nose to the entire Congress and, and to the world. You know, the, the world's piled up against Saudi Arabia. That's not an emergency. And I think it's obviously... It's not going to be truthful. It's going to be a lie of why we did it. We did it for Raytheon. We did it because of connections at the White House, and we did it because of Saudi's oil power and because of ideologues who support a war between us and Iran. That's, those are possible reasons, but the fact remains not complying with the inspector general by the secretary of state, and also if the reasons aren't legitimate, I think it could lead to his ouster, and that's probably what they're afraid of. 
Interesting. Bob, thank you so much. Uh, Bob, former well, you, Republican Leslie. congressman, now a political analyst and author of a great book uh, that you need to get. It's called Sideswiped, Lessons Learned Courtesy of the Hitmen of Capitol Hill. You can find it at bobnaydoortodoor.com. That's B-O-B-N-E-Y doortodoor.com. I'm Leslie Marshall. Thanks to Marky Mark Grimaldi, my executive producer. I will be back with you on Friday. You can watch me here on Periscope. Follow me on Twitter at Leslie Marshall, Facebook.com forward slash The Leslie Marshall Show for fan page, Instagram at Leslie Marshall Talker, and at Leslie Marshall for LinkedIn. Have a great rest of the day, afternoon, or evening, whatever time zone you're in. Have a good one. Add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day. Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with AutoPay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit and full plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. See T-Mobile.com.